We're going to be in the book of Acts this evening in just a moment. Acts chapter 12. Good to see you tonight. Spent some time today clearing out my office. It's usually not a good sign. I wasn't going to do it today, but I came in and there was a sign on my door, eviction notice. <laughs> so I got after it. Uh, got some stuff out of there. And, and uh, I just, I, I say this almost every time I'm up here, but I want to say it again. I just really appreciate uh, the way the Lord has been blessing. And I appreciate uh, the, the privilege of serving here all these years, and I appreciate what is happening. I, I think it's timely. I think it's going to be a, a good transition, which has been thus far, and, and uh, we need to really keep praying that the Lord will have his way in it. And, you know, I guess a person could look at this and, and not really, you know, think it's uh, a big deal, but I think in ways it's a big deal for the church. The church. Uh, you know, my burden is for the church, and my desire is after we transition to still be involved here and help serving in the church, helping the church, if I can be a blessing in the church, you know, um, so that's what I want to do, and so I think we ought to just uh, harness up together, yoke up together, and teamwork, and uh, and do more, do more than we have been doing to reach this community. This community needs the gospel. And so uh, now's the time. And so I'm excited about that. So Acts chapter 12, uh, we're going to begin. I think we'll just read um, beginning in verse 1. And would you stand with us if you're able to stand? And let's get into the scripture together. And, and I want to just kind of read through this and get it in our minds, soak it into our minds. Verse 1 says, Now about that time, <clears throat> Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And we may look at a couple of other passages, but this was not an isolated event. This, this persecution has been going on and mounting and going from one level to another level. And it's really bringing here a, a real critical moment for the church. And so it says in verse 2, And he, Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And that's James and John, sons of Zebedee, uh, one of the twelve, beheaded. And because Herod, because he saw it pleased the Jews... He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, and Herod had apprehended Simon Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him. Now, a quaternion is a company of four soldiers. There's four quaternions. Imagine having 16 soldiers devoted to keeping this Baptist preacher locked up. They worked on shifts, would be my assumption, but 
It says in uh, verse 4, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And I'm, I'm going to use three words there in verse 5 as the title of the message, prayer was made. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night. So the night before his trial, the night before he was to be executed, the same night Peter was restless and worried and anxious. No, Peter was sleeping. Isn't that, isn't that an amazing thing? He knows that the night before he's going to face the king and his sword and he's sleeping. I need more of that. The same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. So he's bound, he's chained to these two soldiers. Each one of, these, each one of his hands, which one of Peter's hands, is chained to a soldier by his side. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. So I'm assuming these two men are chained to him and there's two men at the door guarding the door. Make sure he doesn't escape. Verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Wake up, buddy, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true what, which was done by the angel. He thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. Gate just opened. And they went out and passed on through the street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself... He said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. <laughs> and when he, Peter, had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, the author, human instrument that gave us the gospel of Mark. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. Not mad like furious, mad like a temper, mad like you've lost your mind. Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. She, she made sure. She kept pressing the issue. Then said they, it is his angel. In other words, maybe Peter's dead. Maybe this is just his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Isn't that a beautiful picture to see? She's in there trying to convince him, and Peter just knocking on the door. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. What a wonderful 
wonderful blessing it is to have the Bible. We thank you for the power of the Word of God to encourage us and to teach us, Lord, to help us. I pray that tonight as we go through the Scriptures, you would help us, Lord, to glean from your Word what you'd have for us. Father, we know Bible stories, but we want to learn from them and apply them to our life. So we pray that you would help us and work in our life, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to talk about prayer tonight and just kind of in beginning review uh, the, the priority that prayer is. We know a lot about prayer. We read about prayer. We teach about prayer. But it's really uncanny how much prayer, the role it played in the days of the early churches. Um, you know, Sunday morning we were <clears throat> looking at this, how the Word of God grew and about um, the evangelistic fervor of the first century and the early churches, especially in the book of Acts. And you can't really understand the growing influence of the Word of God without factoring in the priority of sowing the good seed, always sowing the seed. But there's another factor that was just as so much a priority, and that was prayer. And this was the pattern that the disciples had been immersed in during the ministry of Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, you know, in Mark chapter 1, we find Jesus getting up a long time before daylight and going out and praying alone. In Mark chapter 6, he sent his disciples away from him, and he went to a mountain to pray. In Luke chapter 6, he spent the whole night praying before he ordained or appointed the 12 apostles. In Luke chapter 9, he took Peter and James and John up on a mountain to pray, and there he was transfigured before them. In Luke 18, he says, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Just the other day, we talked about in John 17, where Jesus prayed that lengthy prayer for his disciples. What a, what a wonderful passage that is that he prayed for us. John 17, John 18, he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prayed. The point being, Jesus prayed a lot. I was just reading uh, today the devotion for yesterday. One of our devotions and one of our books was where, where Jesus went into a mountain alone to be alone to pray. Now, we're to be like Jesus. So to me, when I think about that, I just, I'm reminded of the fact that prayer ought to be a major part of our life. We see the same thing in the churches. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had instructed the churches to wait in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. And the Bible says these all continued in Acts 1, these all continued in one accord in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, it gives a record of the kind of the life that was going on in the church at that time in Jerusalem. It said this, they continued steadfastly in prayer. In Acts chapter 3, James or Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray. In Acts chapter 4, when the Jerusalem church was threatened, if they continue to preach the gospel, it says they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. So you see this throughout the gospels. You see it through the book of Acts. You see it in the churches. So prayer ought to be a way of life. I think prayer should be as much a part of a Christian's life as spiritual life as breathing is to our physical life. We ought to be men and women of prayer. 
And in this text we're looking at in Acts chapter 12, there was a great crisis. You know, Pastor Weiss said earlier, you know, these, these are challenging times. And I was thinking about this as we were singing in times like these, you need a Savior, you need an anchor. These are troubling times. But nothing like it was here in the book of Acts. The troubles we're facing were nothing. I mean, imagine if we were living in the first century in the church at Jerusalem and we were assembled tonight, the news that we would have would be that one of our 12 has been beheaded and our primary leader other than James would be Peter and Peter's been taken to jail and he's next. I mean, that would be, that would be pretty, pretty life-shattering, wouldn't you think? They, so we think about our, the crisis we're living in and I don't think it begins to measure up to what these believers were experiencing. And it wasn't just here. Go back a little bit uh, to the book of Acts chapter 4 and just notice some of the legislative uh, pressure that's being placed upon the believers there in the church. Acts chapter 4 and verse 18, it says they call them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And then if you look in Acts chapter 5 and verse 28, did we not straightly command you that you not, should not teach in this name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and tend to bring this man's blood upon us. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 40, it says, And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they're, they're facing beatings. And Acts chapter 7, of course, we have the record of Stephen's defense. And he was, he was martyred in Acts chapter 7 and verse 60. We find him his dying. This is, this is what's happening to the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was consenting unto his, Stephen's death. In that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The Bible calls it a great persecution. Chapter 9 in verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters of Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, any believers, any sincere Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. In the next chapter 12, of course, verse 1, we have this matter of Herod killing James. So this persecution upon the believers is very intense. It's only growing. It's intensifying. It's spreading. And we, we live in a you know, we live in a pretty good environment here. I, I understand that gas prices are up, I feel that, and grocery prices are up, and, and uh, I understand those kind of things. But I'm telling you, we're not experiencing anything like this. And I think, it, I think it's possible that one of the reasons they were such men and women in churches of prayer is because they were experiencing things like that. So in our text, they're facing a great crisis. And it says in verse 5, 
Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So James was dead, Peter's locked up, he's next, and the church is praying. Verse 12 it says, in the last part of verse 12, Acts 12, 12, where many were gathered together praying. So I think it's just a testimony about the value, the importance of corporate prayer. And tonight I just want to, I just want to, from our, this verse in verse 5, just talk about a few simple lessons about prayer. And the first one I'm going to call the practice of prayer in verse 5. Prayer was made. The practice of prayer, prayer was made. Prayer, prayer wasn't talked about. Prayer wasn't taught about. Prayer was made. They were praying. And, um, you know, I think all of us believe in prayer. But here's the, here's the reality. We all believe in prayer. But sometimes it takes a crisis to get us to pray. Or if not just to get us to pray, to take our prayer from a sort of a Lord bless my food prayer to God we need you desperately prayer. And that's the kind of prayer this was. This was not a God bless everybody, amen. That wasn't that kind of prayer. This was an earnest prayer. This was passionate prayer. This was desperate prayer. And uh, so these people were involved in prayer. And, and all of us should be. I don't, I don't think there's a person here tonight, including me, that would say, I pray as often as I want, as much as I want, as sincerely as I should. I, I'm just telling you, we all, all of us need to be involved. It ought to be a part of our spiritual life. So we have, first of all, the practice of prayer. It was made. They prayed. They prayed. And think about your own life. Young person, think about your life. And your prayer life. How was your, how, what kind of prayer life did you have today? How, how many things did you bring before God today? Things that, you know, there are probably people here thinking, you know, we've got this situation, we're struggling financially, or we're having this problem with, in our relationship. But how much did we really pray about it? I, I really, when you think about it, the problems we have are really, I'm not saying this is all they are, but a part of what they are is an invitation for us to pray. So there was the practice of prayer. The second thing we see is the persistence in praying. Verse 5, prayer was made without ceasing. Now they had been praying in verse, in verse 5 they're praying, but you look in verse 12 and we know that there had to be some time expired between verse 5 and verse 12. We don't know how long that was, but they're still praying. They were praying without ceasing. You know, answers to prayer don't always come immediately. Wouldn't you agree with that? A few weeks ago, I lost my wallet. That is really not a novelty. <laughs> I lose my wallet. I lose my glasses. I lose my keys. I lose stuff. Y'all never do that. But I lost my wallet. And I'd come home from the office and couldn't find it, but usually it's in, it's in, I shouldn't tell you where it is, <laughs> not that I don't trust you, 
But usually it's in the console of the car, or it's in my briefcase, or it's on one of, or one of my desks, or it's on... It's usually some place I can find it, but it wasn't any place I could find. Look for it, look for it that day. When I got home, I looked for it, told my wife, asked my wife where she put it. <laughs> and so we had prayer for dinner that night, and, and I said, Lord, you know where that wallet is. And while I was praying, it came into my mind that my wallet was in my shoe. I got it from the dinner table, and I went to the closet, and I looked in that shoe, and that's where that wallet was. Now, here's what happened. I came to the office in my regular clothes. I changed clothes and went out and worked outside here in the building. And when I did, I put my wallet and stuff in those shoes. I forgot. Why would I put my wallet in my shoes? I don't know. But, you know, the Lord knew where that wallet was. But, you know, prayer don't always get answered like that. By the way, I think that was an answer to prayer. You may just think it's a coincidence, but that's all right. But prayers don't always get... There's persistence in praying. because Listen, because God is not answered does not mean He will not answer. Because God is not answered doesn't mean we should quit asking Him. We ought to keep knocking. We ought to keep praying. We ought to keep asking. As I say that, I think about issues in my own life, people that I know in our church that I've been praying for and people you've been maybe praying for, but that don't mean we quit praying for them. Just because God has an answer today doesn't mean He won't answer tomorrow. So they were persistence in praying. So we see this, they were the practice of prayer and then the persistence in prayer. In verse 5, the third thing we see is the participants in prayer. And that was, look in verse 5, it says, Prayer was made without ceasing, of the church. Now, we all know, you should know, all of us should know, that we're supposed to pray in secret, right? I hope you've had time today when you've talked to God about your day and yielded your life to Him and made sure you weren't trusting in the strength of your flesh that you didn't want to go through your day leaning upon your own flesh, but trusting in God. All of us ought to pray privately. We ought to pray with our family. We ought to pray. But this is different prayer. It's praying in the church. In Acts chapter 4, when the church prayed, this was when they had been again threatened, and they, they got together and they prayed. They prayed for boldness. And that's a good thing to think about. When they had been threatened and told you need to hush up, they prayed for boldness to speak up. So they were praying, and the Bible says the place was shaken where they were gathered together. That's a great thing. I mean, the place was shaken because the church was there praying. Wouldn't you have hated to miss that prayer meeting? And everybody said, you wouldn't believe what happened when we prayed. I mean, it shook, up, it shook everything up. So this is talking about church prayer, and I think it's just really a thing to be emphasized periodically there's something very special, very powerful about the church praying. And that, that ought to cause us to think about our faith and our involvement when we pray. When Pastor Y stands up here and says, you know, we need to pray for Sister Rita, and we do need to pray for Rita, um, that we don't just hear that and just let somebody else pray that we pray. I mean, I'm not going to do this, but I like to just look at, people and say did you pray for Rita 
tonight. Will you pray for her tomorrow? I'm just saying we ought to be praying. But when the, there's something powerful about when the church prays. I've told people many, many times in my life, if I had a great need in my life, I would bring it before the church and said, would you please, as a church, seek God for this need? You say, well, I've already prayed about it by myself. Well, maybe I have too. But I think there's some, this, the, the prayer was in the church. The participants in prayer. And then the petition in prayer in verse 5. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That was their request. They, you know, there could have been a lot. They probably had sick people in the church. They probably had people who had loved ones that were out of sorts. But they didn't meet to pray about everything under the sun. They met to pray about Peter. They prayed for him. Specific request. They were praying for Peter. And Jesus taught us this. When you, when you pray, ask for specific things. We've all done this. Lord, bless. Bless everybody. Bless all the missionaries. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus said when you, when you pray, if you ask for a... He just said several things. One, if you ask for an egg, if you want to pray for breakfast, one thing, pray for an egg, though. Pray for an egg. You God's not going to give, Father's not going to give you a scorpion. If you pray for a fish, He's not going to give you a snake. If you pray for bread, He's not going to give you a rock. Pray specifically. And they were unified in praying for Peter. If you've got someone tonight that you really are concerned about or something tonight that you really are concerned about, you're missing a great opportunity if you don't get the church praying. Amen. The petition in prayer was for Peter. And of course, the power in prayer, verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. It would take a miracle. Isn't this a great miracle that God performed? I mean, isn't that a great miracle? That angel comes, wakes Peter up. He was sound asleep. Wakes him up, gets him on his feet. And instantly took the chains off of him. Escorted him out the door. Isn't that a great miracle? It took God to do this. They weren't, they weren't praying. Listen, they weren't praying for God to send an angel. They were just praying for God to do something for Peter. And it ought to encourage us to remember that God can do anything. The confidence in our prayer is not, young person, the confidence in our praying is not in us. It's not in us. It's not even in our faith. Here's a classic example of that. You're well aware of the story when, when Peter shows up at the door and starts knocking, they didn't believe it was him. When the woman who heard his voice when the woman who heard his voice went and told the people that were praying, the man you're praying for is at the door. They said, you're crazy. You're mad. Maybe it's an angel. I think there's an interesting thing about this. I was thinking about this today. These people who were praying were shocked that their prayer had been answered. But here's the thing that really stood out to me today. I never really thought about it quite like this. 
that even though they were praying and totally unsure of the outcome, they didn't know, they didn't even know that God would hear their, I mean, I don't know if they prayed for James, but James got his head cut off. There's a possibility they prayed for James, and maybe they thought, well, Peter's going to be just like James. But even though they were unsure of the outcome, while they were praying, God was hearing and God was working. You know what that tells me? That when I'm praying for something, and I may not even have the right kind of faith, and I've prayed a million times about it, and it's been years maybe, but I'm praying, and I may be thinking that God's not hearing, or maybe it's not God's will, but it just may be that God is working, and we can't see Him working. Prayer should be a priority for the Lord's churches. You know, we all want to, do things to reach more people. We all want to see more people saved. We all want to see our missionaries be more fruitful. We all want to see families put together and all these things. But I think all those things are things that God has to do because we can't do them. You and I can't do them, but God can. And prayer should be, if we look at, I've started off looking at the prayer life of Jesus because I think it's important. It was a priority to Jesus. Jesus was being faced with crowds and, and flooded with needs. But Jesus knew he needed to get away sometimes, not to rest, but to be with his Father and to pray. And so we looked at the, Church, this, this early days of the church and how they were just exploding in growth. And, but you know what? These people were evangelizing, but they were praying. They were praying about everything. Sometimes I'm ashamed of the fact that I, I do so many things without really praying about it. And you know, you know, you could do this. You could get up in your day and you could get dressed and have breakfast and go out in the yard and start working or go to work and drive to work and spend the day at the factory and come home and, and hadn't spend five minutes in prayer. That's possible. But it's not the way God wants us to live. We ought to be praying. We ought to be praying that God would lead us to people that we can witness to while we're on the job. We ought to be praying. I personally like a life um, free from conflict, free from difficulty, free from hardship, free from interference and interruptions. That's the way I would like to live life. But you know what? That wouldn't be good for me. Paul, Paul said that God blessed him with a thorn in the flesh. a messenger of Satan that buffeted him for the express purpose of keeping Paul from being less dependent upon God than he should be. I think sometimes it takes more determination and discipline to keep our prayer life right when things are going good than it does when things are not going good. And I want to tell you something tonight, and I'm not trying to be mean. I don't have to try. It just comes natural. 
But if you've got a lot of things going wrong in your life and you're not really seeking God, you've got something wrong in your life, worse in your life. Because God is the source of our help. It ought to be a priority for us. Individually, it ought to be a priority and it ought to be a priority for our church. You know, this is Old Testament. Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, quoted from Isaiah when he was talking about the way they were desecrating the the temple. But he said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all people. God's temple in the Old Testament was a place of prayer. Even, and I'm not going to go back there, but even when, when Solomon was praying at the dedication of the temple, when the tabernacle was being replaced with that glorious temple, and he said... He said, you know, if, if, if we've faced famine and we come to this place, we turn toward you, would you hear from heaven? And if, we, if our enemies have overtaken us and we come to this place and pray, it was to be a place of prayer. And God says, yes, I'll do that. If you do this, then I will hear your prayers. So tonight, I just want to urge the church to really keep praying and I don't know if it's possible. I guess it would be possible to, to preach or teach too much on prayer. It might be possible, but it wouldn't be possible to pray too much. I know that. The things that Pastor Weiss mentioned tonight, the pastoral transition, it ought to be, I'm sure you're bathing it in prayer. We are. And we're not bathing it in prayer because we see any danger signs. We're bathing it in prayer because we want to trust God. And some of us have been praying about this for years. And so we're and we're still praying about it. I think we ought to pray about it. Jesus taught us to pray for laborers. We ought to be praying for labor. We need laborers. By the way, I think we've been emphasizing that some in the last few months, and I think God is answering that some of those prayers. But we ought to be praying about it. I'm still praying for our hope program. I still think we ought to have a hope program and an outreach of discipleship, an outreach to people who are struggling with addictions. And the only thing keeping us from having it is having a person that would be willing to say, you know, I could help do that. And I'm not going to try to talk people into doing it, but I tell you, I'll talk to God about it. We ought to talk to God about it. We're working to get our bus route built up. And we're knocking on more doors. And honestly, we're not seeing a lot of response. But, but you know what? We're, this, the, the doors, those doors aren't the only doors we're knocking on. We ought to be knocking on God's door. Knocking it shall be open unto you. We ought to be praying about just evangelism and missions for God to work. For God to work in people's lives. And of course, the two women that were mentioned tonight, Rita and, and Cindy, praying for them. So tonight, I just want to encourage you to pray and not to, not to give up on praying. I thought about a couple of our men that I want us to pray for tonight that have had have just one of them uh, is Russell. He's been really sick for a couple of weeks, having issues. He's had some Issues that have really set him back physically. And so, I've been praying for him. I'd like for you to pray for him. And I'd like for you to pray for Alfred. That God, God would work in his life.
You know, there's a sense in which all of us have said, I've said it, and we can say it. We feel so, in some situations, in many situations, we feel so incapable of affecting the situation. But you know one of the places their effectiveness may be uh, not being exploited or used, and that's in the matter of prayer. Praying for God to work. God can work. Young person, if you're praying for your mom or your dad or your someone, one of your friends, don't give up. Keep praying. Start praying back. Just say, Lord, I've, I've been, you hadn't been hearing from me very often, but you're going to hear from me more in the future. We need help. We need for you to work. Would you do that? Would you say, Lord, I want to, I'm going to do my part on my knees or on my face. Maybe, maybe in your closet, maybe behind the steering wheel. It may be wherever it is. Maybe right here. When the church comes together, it's kind of old-fashioned, to be honest with you. It's kind of old-fashioned to spend a significant amount of time in prayer or devoted to prayer. But the church that Jesus established when he was, he was the first pastor of the church. They spent a lot of time praying. And they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples to pray. And the church that we look at with such admiration, the church in Jerusalem, the church in Thessalonica, these churches were places where prayer was prominent in their, in their assembly among their people. We ought to be people of prayer. Amen? Amen.